today on Ag News Daily. That was day three uh, in this position as director of Ag. So, yeah, that was a uh, catastrophic event. Welcome back. March 16th, 2023, Thursday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney here. Not forgetting the date today. Delaney got my stuff together. Well, it also starts March Madness today, Tanner. Do you have a bracket filled out? I think there's four or five of my brackets floating around. It's uh, it's great to have friends, but it makes March Madness expensive. Oh, see, you're putting money on it. I don't usually do that. We just do it for <clears throat> bragging rights. Oh, well, that's, that's not nearly as much fun. It's a lot harder to get invested just for bragging rights. I suppose that's probably true. Yes. But let's get right to things today. Going to start right off with ethanol updates. Ethanol output rose to a three-week high, and inventories are almost the highest they've been in the last calendar year. Production for the biofuel increased to an average of just over a million barrels per day for the week ending March 10th. Ethanol stockpiles jumped from 20 jumped to 26.394 million barrels up from 25.32 the week before. That's not a lot of great news. It's good to see the production side delaying, but we also need to see demand go up. Weather-wise, winter storm warnings are still issued for parts of Nebraska and Wisconsin. Southern uh, there are weather advisories though that are focused on South Dakota, northwestern Iowa, and the southern parts of Minnesota. An additional three inches of snow may fall on top of areas where snow fell yesterday in Nebraska, and we're still seeing a potential for 50 mile per hour winds. It looks like if you are in snowmobile country, the lake effect snow may take place late Friday into Saturday in northern Wisconsin with nearly a foot of snow in their forecast. Well, Tanner, we have seen the official approval, well, not officially official, but uh, conditional approval of the largest single line rail system that is going to stretch now from Canada to Mexico. The Surface Transportation Board has approved the Canadian Pacific's merger with KC Southern with conditions. Uh, And so now we see until April 4th, folks can file petitions for reconsideration. But as of April 14th, 2023, the merger will officially be closed. But like I said, KP, CPKC or Canadian Pacific Kansas City, that's a bit of a weird mouthful of an acronym, will be the first railroad providing single line service connecting Canada, the United States and Mexico. But Tanner, this process has been ongoing for the last two years when it officially kicked off in March of 2021. So it's been a long time in the making and we have finally seen Canadian Pacific announced the agreement between the two railroads and the Surface Transportation Board has also signed off on it. So it's an exciting win for transportation and exports, especially. Yeah, I had looked at that map and it certainly does connect Canada all the way down to Mexico. Talked about a lot of even non-ag products being on that rail line. Mm -hmm. So it could be a great measure. The Fed is continuing to take shots over their early decisions around what they will do to support the two failed banks. The government's moved to backstop the deposits, stating that deposits above the FDIC insurance level will still be honored, is now causing a lot of market analysts to 
go wild is the terminology used in this article. They equate this to a rescue plan and just as bad to the economy as quantitative easing. What has happened is the Fed is stating that they are likely going to inject about $2 trillion into the U.S. banking system to ease liquidity crunches faced by banks. Uh, J.P. Morgan's equity strategist, Nicholas Panagritzolo, said that this is uh, something in a note when they did his interview with Bloomberg. The bank term funding program, which is what's been proposed from the Fed, will state that they have approximately a $3 trillion of reserves that they can deploy, and they're looking to put $2 trillion of that to work. Why is this important? Well, a lot of the banks that are on this list for potential to fail have bond portfolios that have significantly gone underwater due to the inverse relationship of interest rates between the Fed raising theirs and the value of their bond portfolio. So just like SVB Delaney, who had an inverse value of their bond portfolio, so they could have losses if they were liquidated those products to gain liquidity, the Fed is now stating that there could be $2 trillion available in a loan package that banks can take out for a short-term loan to help shore up their liquidity position, all in a move to grant stability to the banking sector. So all that to be said, Delaney, is it's basically making that FDIC insurance level almost infinite in the eyes of the general public rather than that $250,000 per signer segment. Uh, And there's a lot of analysts that are not extremely thrilled with that move. Yeah, and I've got a couple of quick hits here to add on to that story, maybe more on the inflation side as we're continuing to watch whether or not the Fed raises interest rates at their next meeting. But we have now seen, of course, we're sitting at about 4.5% interest, which is the highest in 15 years. I didn't realize this, Tanner, but we've spent most of the 2000s below 5% and most of the past 35 years below 35, or excuse me, past 35 years below 5%. So if we do see a half percent basis increase, that would push us to the highest level we've seen really here in 35 years. But Argentina has been an interesting case example of the ultimate example of inflation. Their inflation mark year over year, Tanner, do you want to guess what it hit this week? Year over year, uh, I guess I would say 10 or 12%. Oh, no, it hit 100% this week. Whoa. Yes, they are dealing with the worst inflation I think their country has ever seen. And they're starting to hoard U.S. dollars in place of that because the U.S. currency continues to hold value while Argentina's is obviously quickly losing value. So I'm guessing we're going to see some continued political unrest there. Meanwhile, the U.S. dollar this week, Tanner, hit its high again, hit a stride here after sliding to the lowest rate in, I think, about a month here. We finally saw the U.S. dollar posted a huge rally back to their 100-day moving average. So certainly a lot going on in the financial sector this week to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's uh, been a busy week in the banking world, certainly something for all of us to continue to watch 
There is mystery surrounding a proposal for a new 320,000 square foot beef production facility in eastern Kansas. Last week, Olathe, Kansas City Council received a request for a $257 million industrial revenue bond and tax phase-in from a Delaware-based 1918 LLC. This is a subsidiary of an unidentified retailer with stores in a half a dozen states. If approved, the proposed project would result in the construction of a state-of-the-art, high-volume, case-ready beef production facility that would employ nearly 700 workers and have an expected payroll of little over $23.5 million. This is not a slaughter plant, and it's early on in the process. The Grant Thornton LLP accounting firm that pledged this stated they're not at liberty to divulge the name of their client, right now but if the city council agrees to move forward later on in the process that will be revealed they're looking to place this facility on a 60 acre site just southwest of Olay. the plant would be operated by a subsidiary the plant would not slaughter like i stated but process and pack subprimal cuts of beef into ready retail ready cuts and products the animals would be raised and slaughtered in other states and trucked to this facility so that's quite an interesting one here it looks like according to the documents provided to the council the products coming out of this facility would provide inventory to stores in arkansas colorado iowa minnesota missouri montana nebraska north dakota oklahoma wisconsin and wyoming so we will continue to keep you guys posted on this as more details come about. Well, Tanner, I have just one, I think final piece of news here aside from markets, as we are continuing to watch negotiations for the next farm bill come to fruition. More than 400 farm groups on Tuesday asked Congress for more money for the next farm bill in its current baseline model. The letter sent to both the House and Senate Ag panels says, quote, sufficient budgetary resources will be needed to craft a new bipartisan, multi-year, comprehensive and meaningful piece of legislation. As you work to build the federal budget for fiscal year 2024, we seek your support for providing sufficient resources to the committees to craft the next farm bill. The letter was largely distributed by the American Soybean Association, although, as I mentioned, there are 400 other farm groups signed on as that as well. And their number one concern, Tanner, the relationship with China. They said that's the number one market for U.S. farm products. And that could add to a lot of volatility here as we're watching geopolitical events unfold. I'm actually a little surprised that didn't put the relationship with Mexico higher up on that mm. list. But again, more for us to keep watching. Last little quick hit I have is John Deere unveiled their exact shot technology at CES. We got to see that down at Commodity Classic. And now it's rolled out its next planner performance upgrade called FurrowVision. This is a camera and laser package mounted to look down into the furrow to record images of the seed and the residue during the planter pass furrow vision performance is a performance upgrade kit that includes 3d cameras and the wiring you say here that you're going to want to mount these onto sections of your planter not each row to monitor what is happening on your seed bed and below the surface as you plant your seed this is another piece of technology according to the john deere spokesperson that will allow farmers to potentially move closer to fully autonomous planting so that's the last piece I have. Delaney, how did markets open up today? 
Alexander, as we head into the opening market session here, we're actually seeing a little bit of positive bump here on the morning. Maycorn up three pennies at 629. D Snookrup Corn will open a half a cent lower at 556 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, Snookrup soybeans will open a penny lower at 1323 and three quarters. Hard red winter wheat will open a half cent lower at 819 and a quarter. Livestock markets yesterday, if we take a look at where those closed and where they'll open today, were lower. April live cattle down $1.50 will open at a buck sixty-one fifty-five. April feeders will open at a buck ninety-three twenty-five. And April lean hogs will open this morning at eighty-three seventy-five. Tanner, without further ado, let's get over to today's conversation. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. out east this morning talking with the new Ohio Department of Agriculture's director, Brian Baldridge, who was recently appointed to the director position here in February of 2023. Director Baldridge, thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly excited to learn more about your background and some of the issues going on for you and your constituents. Well, actually, thank you so much. And actually, it's great to be with you this morning and, and talk ag. Absolutely, because as I understand it, you have deep roots in agriculture. Tell us more about life growing up on a farm and how you found yourself in this position. Absolutely. And yes, I uh, grew up on a seventh generation family farm in, in southern Ohio, uh, down down close to the Ohio River and uh, grew up. We were uh, very diverse. We were beef cattle, um, ran about 60 head of sows and had some sheep and and uh, grain, and also had a hybrid seed corn business. So we were pretty, uh, very diverse. And, and I can't forget about uh, back in the day growing burley tobacco. So grew up through our uh, through our family operation, and like I said, a seventh generation. And um, today, uh, still involved. Uh, I'm about 300 acres of grain, around about 50 head of beef cattle. So ag has always been part uh, of my life. My family raised uh, two children and got a grandbaby and, and making sure that they uh, know the importance of the ag and, and their love for it that I've had all my life. So it's exciting um, to be in this role. And so following high school and college, you have already spent a little time in policy, but I also wanted to point out, I thought this was very interesting because I think a lot of people in the agricultural community also are called upon to serve in some sort of volunteer capacity. Tell us a little bit more about some of the volunteer work that you've done as well. Sure. I, uh, I volunteered and, and kind of my start in the government was with the uh, local volunteer fire department. I look back on that time and, and these were the men and women in, in an agricultural rural Ohio community that I looked up to. And uh, they were they were the folks you saw at the local feed mill. You saw them at church. And I just looked up to that and I thought, that's something I want to do. And uh, so I got on local volunteer fire department. And that was my start, actually, in government. Uh, kind of 
quickly went through the ranks of the local fire department and and uh, became in a leadership role of the chief and and started working the township trustees and that was my uh, I, I knew early on that was something I really had a passion for as well and uh, stepped down from the role in that volunteer setting and then ran for township trustee did that a couple terms got involved with our state association our Ohio Township Association and then uh, uh, after that uh, did four terms as county commissioner. And again, was engaged uh, with the state county commissioners association, and and that was probably my lead in, just because I was kind of around uh, our capital city, uh, dealing with policy and local government. Um, but that was the lead in for the opportunity to run for the state house, and uh, so we were two terms uh, recently, uh, serving in the Ohio legislature, and and obviously ag committee was a a big part uh, of that as, as well as finance and, and other committees. But uh, that's kind of what, how we made that pathway uh, into this great opportunity. And we thank governor DeWine for this opportunity uh, to serve in this role as director of ag here in Ohio. Yes, because you were just appointed here in February. And we of course know that on February 3rd, there was the toxic chemical train derailment on February 3rd. Was that just prior or just after to your time stepping into office? That was day three uh, in this position as director of ag. So yeah, that was a, a catastrophic event uh, up in our northeastern part of our state. And uh, you know, from, from the ag community, uh, my background in as a first responder, uh, initially internally within our department, you know, we kind of, uh, I said, hey, it's time to huddle around and, and, and let's think about um, the the dairies that are affected, our meat processors, or or uh, anything that touches ag that could be affected. So internally, we started talking about this very early within the Department of Ag, um, and making sure that uh, we were connecting and, and staying on top of things, and then. Recently, uh, we have transitioned uh, with the leadership of the governor into making sure uh, the, the questions are answered for our ag community and making sure that uh, we continue to have a safe food supply and strong markets in our ag community. You know, that's, that was my biggest concern. To date, we've seen nothing, um, whether it's in uh, some, some necropsies that were done in our state vet uh, through our labs. Um, we've seen nothing of chemical toxicity, but we have to continue to make sure that, that we have a message uh, of a, a strong and safe uh, market out there. So there's not impacts from a, an isolated incident that, that could affect uh, agricultural um, markets uh, in, in a larger scale or regional scale. So, but we're engaged. Uh, we are constantly evaluating where our springtime is you know, our legumes and our pastures green up and, and our livestock are going to be out there um, eating and, and consuming those. And we're working with uh, OSU Extension and, and scientists at OSU, making sure that uh, we are doing some testing and, and so forth, just to continue to, to um, relay that message uh, that to date we've had no concerns um, with what's going on in the ag space so far. Three days into office, that seems like quite the issue to take on so early on in your time of office there. But we're just a little over a month out now. Are you have you heard any reports of farmers, ranchers, wildlife folks reporting concerns that the train derailment caused ailments or illness or death with any of their animals or livestock? 
No concerns. Uh, we've, you know, to date we've had um, to our to our state lab, we've had eleven species, and we've had one calf, uh, and others were wildlife, uh, so on and so forth. But to date, nothing has has led us any concerns from that standpoint, as far as any toxicities from chemicals or anything like that. And you know, I I think moving ahead and and. As I spoke with folks, uh, we had a meeting um, with our local partners, our um, OSU Extension folks, um, our Farm Bureau, uh, and our local soil and water folks, and, and some farmers. We had a roundtable last week, and you know, it's just they just want the uh, make to sh- make sure we're asking the tough questions and we're getting answers to make them comfortable um, moving ahead. You know. Some of the challenges, you know, some we have some direct sales up in that area, um, and, and those for, those folks are concerned with the impacts to their their local sales, whether they're selling beef or their produce, uh, so forth. And some of that's very direct. And then a lot of the other um, agricultural commodities go into the markets. So, again, I mean, nobody has seen. Uh, uh, anything that's concerned them, they're just asking some of those tough questions, and we're going to continue to assist them with that and, and getting in the answers and, and proving that uh, the ag markets in Ohio are strong and safe for, for everybody across the, the uh, global area that they go to. And emergency and crisis response is probably not the first thing that you hoped to probably do once you stepped into office. But I think it's very telling for your constituents to see how you handled and reacted to that situation. Director Baldridge, do you feel like there's anything that you and your team did extremely well or wish you would have done better in responding to this case in particular? And how do you expect it to help you with the rest of your time here in the Ohio Department of Agriculture? Well, um, it, as as we talked earlier, the uh, the background in the in the fire service as far as that uh, trauma triage and and kind of evaluating an emergency situation did not hurt me any as we went down this path. And you know, I I think the key piece was um, it was exciting to me to realize the caliber uh, of folks here um, at the Department of Ag. You know, three days on the job and. And, you know, we've got about 450 employees out here. And it was just exciting for me to say, okay, folks, we've got to huddle up and and talk about this and make sure we're preparing um, for the worst and hoping for the best. And the team was just uh, just top notch. So and and I'm sure we'll evaluate things. Uh, You know, I'm a a huge person that will critique things later and say, boy, if we would have, you know, done a little bit more here, done a little bit more there, um, you know, you can always improve um, on any situation that comes along, but, uh, you know, we're going to continue to stay in contact with our ag community, continue to give them the answers the best we can. So we'll be, uh, moving ahead in, in this situation. So hopefully once we're kind of out of the woods here, what are some other big issues that you hope to tackle during your time in the Ohio department of agriculture? Sure. And, and one of the top priorities, uh, and it's been a top priority of, of governor DeWine, uh, is our water quality. You know, I, I remember traveling um, with my kids when they were young uh, out through the western part of the our, our great country here and, and realizing that uh, we could take for granted uh, how much water we have here in Ohio and, and other states, you know, it, it, it's that's a different, different conversation. And, uh, you know, 
one thing we have to make sure we've had some we've had some algae blooms uh, in our Great Lake uh, Lake Erie, um, and uh, we as the ag community, along with society as a whole, are making sure that uh, we have a a quality a level of quality of our water, and it's safe and it's safe for the next generations to come. So it's a program called H2 Ohio. Uh, it's been an initiative of Governor DeWine from the get-go, the beginning with his administration. And uh, we are continuing with that um, to make sure that, uh, you know, nutrients flowing into water, you know, we want to keep those nutrients in those fields. We know those corn plants, bean plants, wheat, whatever that is, they they need that nutrients. And, and we want to make sure that stays in our fields the best we can and keep them out of our waterways. So that is by far the top priority uh, with the governor's administration, but also here at the Department of Ag moving ahead. And, you know, another thing is, uh, as we look, Ohio is, is, is great as far as our growth, our residential growth out into our uh, throughout our state, but that puts pressures on our agricultural lands. And then we have industry growth as well. So we're making sure that uh, we look at that balance, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, we, we have the acres we need to produce uh, the feed supply that we need. So that's always a, a mix in a growing state. And uh, so we're continually having those conversations as well. Fantastic. Well, Director Baldridge, thank you again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time and insight into your short time in office already. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it and look forward to in the future uh, following up and having another conversation. We'll keep you updated. There you go, Delaney. Another good one. One more day in the week. We'll get to a fun Friday conversation tomorrow. Again, also including the latest headlines. We're back here in Iowa. Hopefully we don't drown out this afternoon with the rain chances we have, but we'll be ready tomorrow. We certainly will, Tanner. We'll see everyone tomorrow. With that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.